Bibles tonight, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And um, for those who were worshiping other places this morning, I'm going to try to bring you up to speed rather quickly on the things that we talked about this morning because tonight's going to be a continuation of that. Sometimes PM services is part two, and this may actually turn out to be a part two as far as how it's titled and, and how it'll be uh, broadcast. But anyway, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And verse number four, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which, has, which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as <clears throat> the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, um, some different religions speak of a confirmation, you know, where someone's faith is publicly confirmed. And um, I'm not here to pick on anybody else's faith. I'm just, you know, mentioning that. Some of you may be familiar with that. And, um, of course, what we see here is that Jesus is the one who will confirm our faith to the end. Are you, are you seeing this, right? So when we were born again, everything that Jesus taught us about the new birth was confirmed in us when we experienced that, that you know, salvation, that, that new birth um, experience, praise God. And so that was confirmed in us at that point, but now we see that Jesus is going to confirm us to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And um, that word blameless there is a pretty strong word, but he's of course talking about his ability not just to save you, but to keep you saved. His ability to not just get you righteous, but to keep you righteous. And there's a lot of folks who understand the gift of righteousness from the perspective of that, you know, basically Jesus fixed all the times we messed up, and then it's kind of like from this point forward we're on our own, and that is absolutely not how it works. Um, you are powerless to maintain that which you are powerless to produce. In other words, if you can't make yourself right, you can't keep yourself right. But thank God Jesus makes us right and keeps us right. Amen? Come on now, that's something to get excited about right there. All right. Then this last verse, God is faithful. Somebody say amen to that. God is faithful. By whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We've been called into the fellowship of Jesus with our Father. In other words, He's talking about the same level, the same kind, the same quality of fellowship with God the Father that Jesus enjoys now has been made available to you and me. I don't have time to go back and reteach all those things, even though it's one of my favorite things to teach. We've been, we're kind of getting into that now in the discipleship class. But you've been given a gift of righteousness, which is right standing with God the Father, so that you can have right relationship or fellowship with Him. And so in order to have the same fellowship with God the Father as Jesus, you have to have the same standing with God the Father as Jesus. Are you understand, are you understand what I'm talking about, Right? So Bethany was mine and Pam's firstborn a child. And of course when Bethany arrived, lots of people that Pam and I knew and loved and other family members, what have you. But no one had the same standing with me as Bethany. She was my child. She was my offspring. And so the standing that she had with me created a relationship between us, or fellowship between us, that was not of the same caliber or quality that I had with, with other people. Are you following me? And it was that way for almost two and a half years until my second child was born. Now that there is another offspring, 
someone else has the same fellowship with me because someone else now has the same standing with me. So when the Bible says that we were born of his seed and are now his sons and daughters, what he's saying is that we have become uh, you know, before him as Jesus. Uh, Jesus was the only begotten son, now he's the firstborn. He's the firstborn. Bethany's the firstborn. Amen. Sometimes John Mark reminds her that he was the firstborn male child, but even though she was the firstborn, that's kind of a little sibling thing that they have going sometimes. Amen. But, um, but Jesus, of course, was the firstborn now as opposed to prior to all of us being born of him. We, he was the only begotten or the only born. So this lavish gift, this extravagant gift of righteousness that we've been given, that we've become, was all to the end, it was a means to the end of fellowship. So because we have the same standing with God the Father as Jesus, we can now enjoy the same fellowship with Him as Jesus. Amen. I'm feeling led of the Holy Spirit to just keep mentioning this. There's a huge disconnect in our hearts between what we know about the love, God, the love of God and that knowledge translating into our understanding His eternal desire for fellowship with us. So we hear and hear and hear that God loves us, and, um, and yet, somehow, for a lot of people, that never translates into Him wanting us. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me today, and, and so hear this out for just a moment, okay? And I'm going to go out on a limb. I want you to go out there with me for a minute, okay? I think sometimes we have the same attitude or understanding of God, or, or at least in our minds, the, the relationship that we have with God is kind of like the relationship a citizen has with its government. Stay with me for a moment now. It's kind of like the relationship that a citizen has with its government. This is how I think a lot of people, either consciously or subconsciously, think about their relationship with God. And it's kind of like this. It's kind of like the government is supposed to take care of us. The government is supposed to be there for us. The government is supposed to have our back. The government is supposed to protect us. If we lose our job, the government is supposed to help feed us and welfare and these kinds of things. And thank God that we live in a country that recognizes that you know, people have difficulties and go through hard times, lose their jobs unexpectedly, and there's that safety net there. And so I think a lot of times when we hear about the love of God, we kind of think it's the kind of love that a government has for its citizens. And, and it's almost like, again, because we work and live in this country and pay taxes, it almost is kind of like a sense of entitlement, right? It's almost kind of like, well, you know, because we're citizens of this country, we got rights. And you do. Amen. Because we're citizens of this country, there are things that, that you know, we have access to and privileges, you know, again, because we're a citizen. And, um, but please hear me. God's, uh, you know, relationship with you is not just merely, uh, you know, because he's got all the goods and, you know, that he now owes you something or feels sorry for you or pities you or what have you. Or hear what I'm, does this make sense to anybody what I'm saying? And I think a lot of people look at, at, at God that way. And please hear me, brother, sister, that's, that's not the relationship that he wants with you. That's not how he wants you to view him. And that's not where he wants, you know, how he wants you to even think of yourself as far as who you are to him. Amen. Now, this morning we, we started to unpack something. And basically, the, the, the unpacking was to get a very thorough definition of what fellowship really means. Because fellowship is more than relationship. Fellowship is relationship of the highest order. And in the Greek uh, language, the word for fellowship is the word koinonia. Koinonia. 
And koinonia means a few things. They all are related. It means community, communion, joint participation. It speaks of the share which one has in anything. Now, we talked about that share which one has in anything this morning. And the idea, of course, is that you have a part in this. Let me, let me back that up with just one scripture off the top of my heart, amen, and that is 2 Peter chapter 1 says that you are now a partaker of the divine nature of God. And that word partake means to have an equal share in. Are you following me tonight? So he's saying that you have an equal share in these things. So when we talk about koinonia, fellowship, amen, it means more than just getting together and, and you know, bringing a dish, covered dish, potluck, and, and having a meal in a fellowship hall. But as it pertains to one another, and most importantly as it pertains to God, it's talking about the share which you have in a thing. And then I want you to notice it's joint participation. Do you see that? Joint participation. See, a lot of times we, we have this idea that God exists to solve our problems. And, you know, we're just kind of waiting on Him to do whatever it is that we've been asking Him to do for a long time. And, and you know, that is, that is such a, I, I don't want to offend you tonight, but that's such an immature approach to the relationship that God desires to have with you. Amen. So, for instance, in, in my marriage with Pam, um, it's a joint participation. Are, are you following what I'm saying? I mean, this isn't just, you know, me sitting back eating donuts while she does all the work. Are you, are, are you following what I'm saying? And so, in other words, we're in it together, and we're in it to win it. Are you understand what I'm saying? Praise God. And so... You know, this idea of fellowshipping with God is, it speaks of a joint participation with Him. Amen. There's the part that He does and there's the part that you do. And as we grow and mature, we understand more and more that God's trying to get you somewhere good, but how quickly He's able to get you there depends a lot upon your willingness to participate and cooperate with Him. Amen or oh me? But do you realize God in His Word calls you a co-laborer together with Him? He calls you an heir and a joint heir, but He also calls you a co-laborer. So we're talking about joint participation. Now, let's move on into this. These words community and communion. Community simply defined as a group of people existing together. Communion is not just the juice and the wafers, but communion defined literally is an act or instance of sharing an act or instance of sharing. The more you share your life with another person and the more they share their life with you, the more you grow in fellowship with that person and the closer you become to them. That's communion. So Father God is wanting to share His life with you and He's wanting you to share your life with Him. And any room you give Him, He will fill that room. Any opening you give Him, any second, any moment of time in your busy schedule that you make for Him, He will fill that with His goodness, His glory, His love, and His wisdom. Amen. Now, before I think we can fully understand the invitation that we've been given, it's not just an invitation, we've been called, it's a calling. We've been called into fellowship with God. We've got to understand some things about God. And the first thing that, and I know this is review for those of you here this morning, I, I don't apologize, I'm just, amen, thank you for bearing with us as we all get on the same page. This right here, this statement um, this has been percolating inside of me, and I really didn't have the words for it until this morning, and, and they really, the Holy Spirit just finally, it's kind of like, you ever like try to remember somebody's name, it's on the tip of your tongue, you know that sensation? Or, you know, it's like there's something in you, and you're just, it's just right there, amen. This has been kind of like right there for me for, for a little while, and, um, and I was finally able to, to put it into words. The Bible calls that utterance, right? 
I was finally able to put it into words. And, and so I want you to understand this about our Creator, our God. Amen? God is an eternal community existing in absolute communion. Now by God, we mean God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They are an eternal community. And when we say they live in absolute communion, that means that they live in an absolute act of sharing with one another. So God is an eternal community existing in absolute communion, and of course this God has reached out to you. We know that God, one God in three persons who know each other, love one another, and enjoy one another. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Are we good? If I'm going fast, it's on purpose, so I'm trying to get somewhere. So God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they're all three eternally God. Now, in the community that is God, each member of the Godhead community are focused on the others and never themselves. Let's look quickly at just three different verses. John chapter 5, verse 30. John chapter 5, verse 30. It says this, I can of myself do nothing, as I hear I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Now this is written in red, and this is Jesus speaking. Notice what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I did not come to this earth to do my own thing. I did not come to this earth to set my own agenda. I did not come to this earth even to say whatever I wanted to say whenever I wanted to say it. He says, but what I do, he says, is this. I speak what I hear my Father say, and I do what my Father shows me to do. That's in another passage. Because I can of myself, in other words, launch out on my own, if I'm going to make my own way and, and live as I choose to live, then I will accomplish nothing in the end. But notice he says, as I hear, I judge. As I hear, I judge. I'm going I'm to get way, way ahead of myself. Matter of fact, so far ahead of myself that we may not even get here for a week or two. But there's one other word that belongs in conjunction with community, communion, which communion, think common union, things that people have in common, things that people share, all right? And then the third component of this is also communication. Community, communion, communication. Amen. So notice, Jesus is in communication with His Father. And He says, as I hear, I judge. In another place, He says, as I hear, I speak. And my judgment is right because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. John chapter 6, verse 38, He basically says the same thing again. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. In other words, he wasn't here to satisfy himself. One of the great revelations in my life is something that I confess over myself and to my Father most mornings of my week is this, that my life is not my own to do with as I please. My life is not my own to do with as I please. Your life is not your own to do with as you please. I've been bought with a price. I belong to him. And I am His to command. This was the attitude that Jesus had towards His Father. Now, I want to show you one other passage. John 15 and 26. Jesus speaking again. And this time He's speaking of the Holy Spirit. And He's referring to Him now in this translation as the Helper. But when the Helper comes, 
whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will testify of Himself. Is that what it says? No, it says He will testify of Me. He will testify of Me. Now, we're talking tonight about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we are, of course, talking about how the three of them, three persons, all God, yet operate as one, one God, amen, in three persons, how they have existed for all of eternity in community with one another. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were in community with one another before there was ever an atmosphere for you and me to breathe oxygen in, before the heavens and earth, as we know them, physically speaking, were ever created. God is eternal in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and they have always existed in community, in absolute communion with one another, amen, and then they decided to create the heavens and the earth, and then create you and me just beneath them in their image and likeness, and even the fact that they are three yet one, you are three yet one. You are a spirit, you possess a soul, and all that's contained within a physical body. I look at you and I see one, but my Bible tells me when I look at Jim DeMore, I'm not just looking at Jim's body. I'm looking at Jim's body, and in his body is his soul, and even deeper in him than his soul is his spirit. So a three yet one God created you as a three yet one being in his image and likeness. You have ten fingers, a thumb, and four fingers on both hands because God, before he ever created you and me, has ten fingers, a thumb, and four fingers on the right hand and on the left created you to have fellowship with Him. Your life will never make sense without fellowship with Him. You have many purposes and callings in life, but none more higher, none more important, none more greater than a call to have fellowship with Him, the same fellowship with Him that Jesus has with God the Father. Every other calling and purpose in your life is not only secondary to your primary purpose and calling, they, it is de they are all dependent upon that, that purpose and calling of fellowship. So, Jesus comes to this earth to do the will of His Father. But the will of His Father includes revealing God to you and me and then becoming our sin on the cross so that we could be delivered from our sin, restored into right relationship with the Father, right standing with the Father, and have the same opportunity to fellowship with Him as Jesus. Jesus did this for the Father. But the, and then the Father... So, question, watch this now. And it's... it's I guess it is a trick question. I'm not trying to trick you, though. Listen to me, please. Did Jesus do on this earth what He did on this earth for His Father, or did He do on this earth what He did on this earth for you and me? And the answer is yes. Yes. He did it for His Father, but He did it for you and me because of His Father's love for us so that we could have the same standing with the Father as Jesus and therefore have the same opportunity for fellowship with the Father as Jesus. So did He do it for His Father? Absolutely He did it for His Father. Did He, did it, did he do it for you and me? Absolutely He did it for you and me. Now, I want you to notice something else. This is where the Holy Spirit comes into this. Jesus said, I will pray to my Father and ask Him to give all of us the Holy Spirit. Think about that now. He says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I, I could ask Father. Like, you know, can you imagine Jesus asking the Father to give you and me anything? In other words, that, you, can, you can guarantee that prayer is going to be answered, right? 
But this is what he said. He said, I'm going to talk to my dad about this. And I'm going to get him to give to you the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is praying to the Father for the Father to send the Holy Spirit. Again, did the Holy Spirit come because of Jesus and the Father? Or did he come for you and me? The answer is yes again. He came because Jesus asked. Father sent him because Jesus asked. But Jesus asked and the Father sent him so that you and I could have the Holy Spirit living inside of us forever. Thank you, sweet Jesus. So notice, Jesus comes to this earth. He doesn't come promoting himself. He doesn't come to try to reveal himself. He comes to reveal the Father so that when we see Jesus, John 14, we have seen the Father. Amen? Now the Holy Spirit comes because Jesus asked the Father to send him. And Jesus, the Father's like, look, Jesus, man, you know, you asked me anything, I'm going to do it for you. And, and the Holy Spirit's like, well, look, I'm all in for Jesus and the Father. So if you, ask, if you ask the Father and the Father says yes, then we're all in agreement because we've never disagreed a single time in all of eternity. So here comes the Holy Spirit. Right? The Holy Spirit doesn't come on the scene and say, I'm the Holy Spirit, I'm the mighty Spirit of God. You you were so impressed with Jesus, but what you have failed to recognize is that everything Jesus did was because I was with Him. No, that's not the Holy Spirit at all, right? Because the Holy Spirit ain't about Himself. The Holy Spirit's about the Father and Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is about you. You know why the Holy Spirit's about you? Because the Father and Jesus are about you. Amen. Are you hearing me tonight? So he didn't come say, look, you guys, you guys give Jesus all the credit. If I hadn't have done through Jesus what Jesus did, Jesus would have never done nothing but made some nice furniture. Right? No, that's not the Holy Spirit's attitude. The Holy Spirit's attitude is all he talked about was Jesus. All he wants to do is reveal Jesus. All he wants to do is promote Jesus. All he wants to do is make Jesus known. All he wants to do is help you know Jesus because if you know Jesus, you'll know the Father. What am I trying to show you? This is the Trinity. This is how they've always functioned. I was taking some notes the other day and I said, I said, man, the Holy Spirit and God, and, and God the Holy Spirit and, and God the Son and God the Father, th- there, there's no selfishness in them. And that fast, he says, I, it is impossible for me to be selfish. I'm incapable of selfishness. Thank you, Holy Spirit. That's how he said it. He said, I am incapable of selfishness. It's not that he could be and chooses not to be. It's that he's incapable. We sometimes say to people, there's not a selfish bone in their body. They'll give you their last dime, their last drink of Coca-Cola, and their shirt off their back, right? Not a selfish bone in her body. Not a selfish bone in his body. Listen, listen, I've known some pretty unselfish people. There's a whole bunch of them right in front of me tonight, right? Unselfish folk, praise God. But listen, no matter how unselfish you are, we all have a tendency at times to want our own way, to get our own recognition, to get our own pat on the back, to get our, come on now, we're just human, we're overcoming this, right? Am I right about this? So you can be an unselfish person but still be capable of selfishness. It's not that God can be selfish and chooses not to be. He cannot be selfish. This is why He is love. There's no self-seeking in love. And He is it. He doesn't just have it. He doesn't just choose it. He is love. And because he is love, he is incapable of even having a selfish thought. A selfish thought. I'm doing that a lot tonight, but it's just, I hope it's blessing you as much as it's blessing me. 
So when we talk about community, communion, this sharing who and what you are with the other members of the community, I know you probably got it, but let me just, I'm going to go through this piece by piece. God the Son focuses upon and shares His all with God the Father and God the Spirit, keeping nothing from them. God the Spirit focuses upon and shares His all with God the Father and God the Son, keeping nothing from them. God the Father focuses upon and shares His all with God the Son and God the Spirit, keeping nothing from them. This level of communion among three persons is the essence of love. Is the essence of love. C.S. Lewis has had a lot to say about this, and one of the things that he talks about is it would be impossible for God to be love if there was only one person in the Godhead. In order for there to be love, there has to be more than one person. Are you following me? So the only way God can be love and is love is because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have love for one another. Are you following this? 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, it says this, And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Once again, God is incapable of selfishness. Now, I mentioned C.S. Lewis to you. There's a gentleman who is a brilliant pastor and, and, and writer named Timothy Keller. One of the highest compliments I can ever give a book is to say, man, I wish I had written that. <laughs> and um, there are some books, particularly The Prodigal God is a book that Timothy Keller, Keller has written that, that I wish I had written it. Amen. That's the highest compliment I can give it. And Timothy Keller was greatly influenced by C.S. Lewis. And I should have looked it up to tell you which book this is in from Timothy Keller, but he brings this point out. He says, imagine, if you will, ten dancers on a stage and each demanding the others to dance around them. You got it? Ten dancers. All decked out in their matching outfits. And the music is playing. But one of those dancers is looking at the other nine, wanting to know why they're not all orbiting around, twirling around, focusing upon him or her. And the others are all looking at one another. In other words, ten dancers all demanding that the others dance around them. That's not how dance works, right? That's not how dance works. So Keller says, in light of this illustration, the Trinity is utterly different. Instead of self-centeredness, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are characterized in their very essence by mutually self-giving love. No person in the Trinity insists that the others revolve around Him. Rather, each of them voluntarily circles and orbits around the others. Now again, there's more to be developed here. But I'm trying tonight by the Holy Spirit with His help I'm going to come in there with you if I can please I want to get a little closer to you <clears throat> I 
there was a woman who came to a well around midday. Her life was a mess. She was a Samaritan and hated by both Jews and Gentiles and because of the reputation she'd established. She didn't come when the other women came to the well to get their day started. She waited till they all cleared out and then came when it was going to be vacant. This day as she approaches, there's a Jewish man sitting by the well. This so happens to be Jesus. And Jesus asks her for water. And she says, what are you doing even speaking to me since there's a bitter, you know, dispute or hatred that exists between Jews and Samaritans. And Jesus says this to her. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is asking you for water, you would ask me for water and I would give you water to drink that would quench the thirst inside of you forever. Let's go back to it. If you knew the gift of God, clearly, at this point, she had no idea who he was. She had no idea what he could do to help her. She had no idea what he had to give, what he had to offer her. To her, she was, I think, annoyed that the well wasn't vacant and she couldn't just slide in there, get her some water and hightail it back to her house with her live-in guy after having been married five times. And yet Jesus has gone out of his way to meet with this woman and to not just minister to her, but in the process has revealed so much to you and me about who he is and what he has the ability to do. But I want to go back to that question. If you knew the gift of God, you would respond differently. That's what he's saying. I, I think that she was kind of being a little sharp with him. Who are you? Who do you think you are, right? A woman scorned? You, you follow what I'm saying? Amen. I mean, obviously, this woman's been through it. And hurt people hurt other people, right? And so I believe she was kind of being short with him, snappy at him. She even said something about, you've come this whole way for a drink of water and you don't even have anything to let down in the well and draw it out with, right? You know, it's like clown, you know, come to a well to get some water, didn't bring nothing to get water with, didn't get nothing. You're going to drink out of my cup? I mean, it's kind of like, right, you know, you don't have anything to... So I think she kind of had that edge to her, that little attitude to her. And Jesus says, woman, if you had any idea who you're talking to, and the opportunity that's sitting in front of you right now to receive from me what I can do for you that no one else ever will be able to do for you, right? Now, why did I just break in the middle of my sermon and, and, and share that? Because when we talk about this eternal community that has always existed in absolute communion with one another, their focus, the object of their attention and affection is you. Remember Uncle Sam in those draft photos 
with his finger pointed out, right? Uncle Sam wants you. Amen. We're not talking about Uncle Sam tonight. Pardon that reference back to people thinking of the government. Maybe it fits. Amen. They want you. They've chosen you. God, when I say God, I prefer, and a lot of times even in my writings, I never write God. I usually always write Father God. And while that's important, because to, again, a lot of people, God is such a distant term. Father is such a powerful term, what it communicates, at least to some people. But when we say God wants you, what I'm really saying is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Trinity wants you. They want you to come and join in a dance with them. They want you to come and join their fellowship. Come and join their community. Come and enjoy the communion, the sharing, the joint participation, and the fulfillment and satisfaction that comes from joining that inner circle. A lot of research takes place in our world throughout any given year. And some of the strongest desires coincide with some of the strongest fears. One of the greatest fears that people have is being alone. Coinciding with that is, of course, a fear of rejection. Desire to be accepted, a desire to be included, a desire to be a part. In corporate America, polls reveal that what people want, even more than the salary that goes along with it, they want to be in the inner circle. They want to be in the inner circle. They want to be included in that. Of course, in some cases, be careful what you wish for, right? You get in there and it's like, oh, now I got all this responsibility. But nonetheless, people are drawn to that. Am I speaking to the right bunch tonight? We want to be included. We don't want to be left out. You walk in a room and there's four seats at a table and all four of those are taken. You feel awkward automatically. That is hardwired into us because we were created to belong. Not just in the inner circle of some company. Not just in uh, you know, a place at someone's dinner party at the table. But we were created to belong in the inner circle of the Godhead that created the universe. If you knew the gift of God, if you knew the offer, if you understood what it is that He desires for you and from you tonight, put my name at the top of the list, we would all, myself included, 
respond much differently to Him, the more we understand His desire and longing for us. Oh, my, my, where does the time go? Stand with me tonight. Praise God. You get anything out of this? The ones who have always shared themselves with the other members of the Trinity are now sharing themselves with you without reservation. Think about that for a minute. He's given you, remember all those things we said uh, a week or two ago? He's given you His kingdom, He's given you His word, He's given you His name, He's given you His inheritance, He's given you His place, He's given you His very life's blood, He's, he's given you His glory, He's given He's given you a seat. He's, he, he, amen. There's, you know, on the surface you think there's no way all that can be. See, that's, that's, that's who He is. He doesn't hold back. He doesn't hold back. Now you would think, well, because He's God, He could hold back on us, but demand that we not hold back from Him. But that's not who He is. Why has He given you His all? His all for your all. He's a just God. His all for your all. He's a just God. One more time. His all for your all. He's a just God. You realize that's the deal of eternity right there, don't you? If a multimillionaire walked up to you tonight and said, look, Let's take all the money you got and all the money I got and put it in an account and put both our names on it. <laughs> Let's do that, man. <laughs> What's the catch, right? Let's do it. So he's going to give you his all for your all. It just so happens that his all is a whole lot more than your all. And yet that is the gift of God. His all for your all. Father, you're good to us and we love you. We thank you for life and peace. We thank you for tonight, Father, that, um, that we hear your voice, community, communion, communication. Father, that we're hearing you and we're following you and we're responding to you. Thank you, Father, tonight for every person in this room. Thank you, Father, tonight that there is a hunger in us for you like we've never had, a longing in our hearts for you like we've never known or experienced. Father, a, a, is, Lord, becoming this reality in each and every one of us, the, the, the opportunity that's before us, the choice that's before us. And Father, we choose you. We choose you. Father, as we go our separate ways tonight, I pray for the week ahead that everything we put our hands to would prosper for your glory that we would hear your voice and follow you this week. Father, we thank you for, of course, Wednesday night and other things happening this week, but we join our faith together for Easter Sunday morning here at Heritage and, of course, all the other churches in this community. Let it be a great day for your kingdom as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior and our being raised with him. In Jesus' name, amen.